few people um, that I've been thinking about while we were worshiping was uh, John and Sandy. I, I haven't contacted them or talked to them recently, but I know John and I know Sandy well enough to know that they're not here probably because they're sick or, or can't come for whatever reason. I want you to remember them especially in prayer continuously beyond just their physical bodies. And I know many of you are aware of what John and Sandy are going through in life right now. So um, I just want to highlight them. And the reason I do that is because there's even on, even on my end, there's a tendency sometimes to get busy enough that every one of you are very special and important to me. And, um, and as you have heard me share before, John is especially that way for me. Um, he carries a, uh, a time in my life with me that nobody else did. And he did for me what nobody else had done um, in a time when it was hard for him. And so I remember him all the time. And so I just want you guys to remember them in prayer. Reach out to them. Um, if you don't know, phone number or whatever, you can get a hold of me or my wife. Um, but reach out to them. And I want to I say that to the church constantly because there's a lot of people that are not here. And you'll know from Sunday to Sunday, uh, as I said last Sunday, if everybody that comes to this church were here on one day, um, we probably wouldn't have enough seats in here to hold you all. There's enough people who come. And I think what's important, some people look at Sunday, and I look at Sunday as the icing on the cake. Yes, we, we come together for a purpose. But the reality is, is that all of us need to be reaching out to somebody. Somebody as a brother and a sister, those that congregate with us and those who don't, but especially those who do, because you never know what they're going through in the time. And sometimes whatever we're going through in the moment, and you hear somebody else and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know. And I don't want that to be said, and I don't want that to be said over a long period of time. Oh, I didn't know for months. I didn't know for weeks. We shouldn't be so disconnected with one another that we didn't know for a long time. And I also want to say I'm very thankful that you do, um, because I know that you do. Um, as a matter of fact, I know that while Will and has been out, Will and Susie both, that I know that many of you have reached out to them, and I'm just like, um, and obviously. Um, given us, and we've we've asked if they needed anything, and they didn't reply back because I think others of you had taken care for their needs. So thank you, and I feel like that's just doing what Jesus called us to do. Do you have a question? Okay, so let's pray for um, mom right now, for Taj because she has a headache. She had one when she came in, and uh, we'll just pray for her right now. Let's do that. Father, we want to lift you up and thank you, God, that you are so faithful. Lord, you're amazing to us in ways that we cannot explain. And God, in these moments, Lord, we just want to lift up and say thank you, Lord, for your healing power. Thank you, Jesus, that nobody can touch us like you can. And Lord, in an instant, in a moment, Lord, all you have to do is speak your word and it's done. So Father, right now, I just pray you'd speak that word over her, Lord, over her headache. Lord, the, the degree of headache isn't um, the issue. Lord, it's just the fact that you're a healer. God, I just pray for that healing quickly in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I've also had a message that I was <clears throat> brewing over this week. It was what I wanted to give to you today. Um, but this is actually one I need more time with. I'll just give you a little bit of a briefing, and then I'll go into what I want to share with you today. When I was looking into the next fruit of the Spirit, we were going to move on to gentleness. 
And um, I started looking up the original meaning for gentleness. And to my intrigue, one of the, the definitions for that in the original meaning is integrity. And I never really put those two together. But the more I started thinking about integrity, it really hit me personally. It really hit me very personally. And uh, gentleness goes along with it. And I just wanted to say this thought. I think we prepare the environment in which we live in. Oftentimes we live with, uh, we live with anger because we prepared the environment of anger. We live with unhappiness around us, sometimes depression because we prepared the environment for depression. We want gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit, but we don't prepare the ground for the fruit of the Spirit. And you know when... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just getting into this in the moment, okay? So, the farmer doesn't just expect there to be fruit. He prepares the ground for it. He fallows the ground, he breaks it up so that when the seed is sown, that it will actually bring forward that fruit. And some of the problems is we want the fruit of the Spirit when we won't prepare the ground for the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And so integrity to me is the preparation for the ground of gentleness. I'll get into that more next week, but that will just stir your thoughts about it. I actually sat there in my office and I, and I had been praying and gnawing on it for most of the week. And, and I, was, I was saying, Lord, what is, what is integrity to me? And I'm not going to give that to you this week. I'm going to give it to you next week. But ever since I wrote that down, it has been stirring in me like I cannot tell you. And it gave me an answer, I feel like, something that I've struggled with for a long time. So I was like, Lord, I can't do this this Sunday. It's, there's too much here. So you're just going to get, um, next week, you're going to get this all wrapped up in one. But what I do want to do is, I want to take time with you to consider communion. Let's look in uh, Matthew chapter 26. And I want to read you most of the gospel accounts. Every one of the gospels actually have an account of, um, of the, uh, the Last Supper or the, uh, the Lord's Supper and the communion. And I want to make sure that we're aware of what this all implies and means. In Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read here in verse 26, verses through 29. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is Matthew's account of, and, and there's more to the story, so I would recommend you going back to the beginning and reading from the beginning of chapter 26. But there's some very solemn thoughts that need to go into and pack into what we know of as the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. And Jesus said, this is my body. 
every time that you take of the bread, you have to remember that it represents the body of Christ. We also have to remember that it isn't just the body of a man. This is the body of the Son of God. This is God's own flesh. And I know that that for many of us, that's hard to comprehend. The Creator of the universe, whom it says the, the, the very heavens themselves can't contain Him, and somehow He's able to put Himself in the body of a child, in the body of a man. But you come to the realization of the Creator of the universe and the One who gave us life and breath made the ultimate sacrifice so we could be free from sin. Not so that we could be free to sin, so that we could be free from sin. So whatever we look at in our life and we're like, okay, I see this imbalance inside of me where I struggle with things. One of the areas where we need to address this the most is is how intimate and how connected we are to what Jesus Christ did. We have to realize that it has to be precious to you. It has to be so valuable to you. You have to see, just as we were talking about earlier, that this is a personal revelation. That, yes, Christ died for my grandmother. Christ died for my father. Christ died for my siblings. But Jesus Christ took on flesh. And He died for me. And so I think part of that is is the beauty of our unworthiness. How wonderful it is to be unworthy of such a sacrifice. Because it, it helps us examine the love of God in higher form. If you felt like you were worthy of it, you wouldn't really feel like it was a great, great price and a wonderful gift. But the fact that we are unworthy, wholly unworthy, it shows to us how valuable that is. And nobody has given us what Jesus did. So when Jesus said, this is my body, He's saying, and, and this is the beauty, beautiful part about it, is He didn't give us a command of how often. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till you come. It's almost like an invitation. Do it as often as you want. Do it daily. Do it hourly if you will. But I think the reason why we don't do it as more often than we do privately and even corporately is oftentimes because we lose the sense of that which is most valuable. So if anything, I'm saying, let's begin to take some time with God and rehearse and bring this forward in a very special way. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And what I say here is that I hear over and over again this idea that I feel like my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. That somehow I hope that I'm a good enough person. Even for Christians who believe the gospel, there's still a piece of that that's, that's a part of their belief system. Is that I hope that someday that I'll be good enough. And you know, the idea isn't that we get the gospel and what Jesus did for us so that we can be as bad as we want and we can still be as covered under the blood. We can still be washed. We can still be guiltless before God because of what Jesus did. But the idea of it is is that the more you hold value, and this is where integrity came in for me, the more you hold value to it, the more you will make a sacrifice for it. 
The more it means to you, the more you will give in order to hold it precious and to keep it pure. And so when God gave this to us, it wasn't the idea, here's a great free gift for you, go and do with it whatever you want, slide by. It was this was supposed to affect your conscience, your heart, your way of life. This was to be in every fabric of your being the most precious gift you've ever been given. No wonder you can't live a day without thinking of the goodness of God and the grace of God in your life. And some sweet day, there was a man who wrote a song called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. I wonder if that was birth from the impression and the reality of what Jesus had done for him. That saved a wretch like me. That saved a wretch like me. You know, the world is trying to remind itself of how good they were. But in order to come to the cross, you have to be reminded of how bad you are. Because Jesus isn't making good men better. He's making bad men good. Through what he's done. And he says, I did this to pour out for the forgiveness of sins. And the reality is this, no matter how good you are, you could never have paid back the price for one sin that you've committed. It's so abominable. It's so wretched. It's so evil. And it carries an eternal eternal weight of guilt that cannot be relieved except through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You cannot, even if you relieve your mind of the guilt of what you've done, even if you can get past all of the things that I have done in life that I know that I shouldn't have, even if somehow you can feel good about the sins that you've committed against somebody else that they're still dragging on unto their grave, even if somehow you can relieve yourself of the weight on your own conscience, and make yourself believe that you're a good person, still yet you cannot take away from the evil of the sin as it still continues its course through the world. There's no way that you can change what the hurt and the pain that is brought upon another person because of what you've done. And there are many things as much as you've tried to make ends meet, and and there's divorces that have happened, and marriages that have ceased, and relationships that have been broken, even among family members, because of a sin that somebody or that you have committed that you can't get them to forgive you of or be willing to restore the relationship over. And even though they ought to, still they won't. And remember this, that it's only through the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice that you can have hope of forgiveness. Not just forgiveness, but salvation. And I really, really want to emphasize, we're not talking about just forgiveness. This seems to be the main course among uh, evangelical churches today, that Jesus died to forgive you. Jesus Christ died to save you. Remember the difference is, Jesus didn't just take away the guilt and the pattern of sin in my life. He took away the power of sin in my life. He changed me inwardly. He changed me outwardly. He changed me wholly. He redeemed me and brought me to life. Because the Bible says I was dead in sin. Conquered by it. Broken by it. It wasn't just that every avenue I wanted to take was a sinful one, but every avenue I wanted to take was a selfish one. It was meant 
to make sure that number one got pleased in this world. To gratify me if it was through morals or it was through sinful behavior. I wanted me to be the king of my life. And that's what Jesus Christ came to save you from. And to forgive you from the sins of living a selfish end. That's powerful. Because there's no way I get out from under that without the impression and the power of Jesus getting into my heart and revealing to me, first of all, that I am a very selfish man. Self-centered. And God revealing that, and then Jesus coming in and relieving that. We're like, well, wait a second, Pastor. I think you're... I think that's a little, you got to be careful for that because all of us are selfish. And how many don't raise their hands to that? But not all of you live to a selfish end, a selfish purpose, a purpose of living for me exclusively. We've been converted to give our life to Jesus. And know what I mean by that is if you're a Christian, you've sacrificed many things that would have pleased you to serve the Lord in the end. You sacrificed things that you were grieved about. You said, Lord, I'm willing to surrender to You even though I feel like I should get justice in this matter. And you gave it to God. And whatever the outcome was didn't matter as much to you as it was to make sure that you surrendered to the Lord in the end. Let's look here in Mark, I'm sorry, uh, in Luke chapter 22. And we're going to go to another account here. Similar, but a few differences. And I just want to see that these writers, they wrote of the same situation, but they had a different view. And I want you to remember that when God does things and you read things in His Word, there'll be a different view, a different take on it, but it won't be a different message. Not ultimately. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. Okay, again the Lord's Supper. And when the hour had come... He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me at the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. I want you to realize that Jesus wasn't walking in a... I want you to see the background of what Jesus... Jesus had a betrayer. Anybody didn't deserve that. It was Jesus himself. And maybe this is a comfort to you because in our lives, maybe somebody has betrayed us. Maybe somebody that should be standing in the gap isn't standing in the gap for you. But I want you to remember that Jesus took on all the struggles that you have. 
He was, he, was point, he was tempted in all points as we have been. So we look to him in those moments where we struggle. And this he had Judas. Now I want you to think about how he treated Judas. Because he already knew what was in the heart of Judas. He knew what Judas was going to do to him. And how Jesus treated him. And you know, I think out of that we see Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus knew his betrayer was sitting with his friends, with his disciples, and those that would surrender their life for him. And yet, he endeared his love to them no differently than he did his own disciples. Jesus didn't change or tweak it at all. He didn't compromise the sincerity and the goodness and the kindness that he gave to um, Judas any more than he did his own disciples. The same body that was broken for his disciples was the same body that was broken for Judas. The same body that was broken for the disciples was broken for Judas. You know, and this is where I feel like the heartbeat of intercession and prayer for others really comes out of. Because friends, when I think about what Jesus did for me, you know, it wasn't that He just delivered me from suffering. He delivered me from the cruelty of who I was. The evil that was stored up inside of me. And when I realize the cost of sin and that there's nobody that has offended me more than I have offended against God. All the cuss words that I said, all the angry things that I did, all the mistreatment that I gave to my sister as we were growing up, the things that I did to my brother that I regret to this day and wish that I could just take them away. And knowing that I can't, but knowing that he still suffers, some of the consequences, the mental struggles, I'm sure, from some of it, added to all the other stresses that he had in life. And knowing that, and that God would find a pathway for me so that I could be forgiven, I could be washed and find a newness of life and somehow be able to live with the man who did that to somebody else. Find peace with God. There isn't anything somebody else can do to me that's half as bad as the guilt that I carried before God myself. And so when I think of prayer, I think of, I don't care if they're my worst enemy. I'm invited to the prayer room, not on the basis of my offenses, not to carry my offenses with another person toward God, but to let go of those for the sake of the cross and pray effectually and fervently for another person just as lost and just as most likely to wind up in hell just like I was going and find their way to Jesus just as much as I needed. And realize this, that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and it wasn't for the work of God, I wasn't minded to find Him. I wasn't of concern to make Jesus a part of my life because I had too many other plans of my own. I had too many other things I wanted. I wasn't going to make Him an integral part of my life because I wanted to own my life. As much as I suffered and I hated some of the things that I had done, I also took pleasure in sin for myself. And so... 
I remember those days. I remember when I was young and thinking, telling a friend that came to my house, I'm glad I don't go to church because I have another day I can just do whatever I want. And I thought that when I was young. But that same young man, remember, I still remember praying to God as I would listen to my dad yell at my mom and threaten to kill her. And even at times, get out a gun. And the same God that I didn't have time to go to church for was not necessarily important to me, but it was of enough concern that if somehow, from all that he was doing high in the sky, that he would at least save my mom from another episode of the threat of her life, he came to be of interest to me only as I could gain something from him. And I wonder if there are not many Christians who their idea of conversion is, I'm interested in God because I can get something from Him. I'm only interested in what He can get for me. But salvation is, I'm interested in Him for Him, for who He is. So there's Judases out there that need you to portray the same love. And they may be the Judases of your life. You understand what I'm saying? They may be the Judases of your life, and yet they need you to love them as equally as you love those that are the dearest to you. Let's look at another one here. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I like John because John seems to write his gospel and he carries a lot of the same ideas. But John is... Is almost like he's a unique, completely different gospel than all the others. And I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm grateful for the book of John. So John chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. I wanted to bring this story out because he, he really doesn't, I was looking in here, it's like he really doesn't talk about the, uh, the Passover itself, but he talks about an event that took place before the Passover. Let's read this. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put it into Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. Can we say that together? Laid aside his garments. One more time. Laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Now, none of the disciples seem to mention this story, which is curious to me, in their account of the Passover. But John did. One that I don't think any of us really want to forget. And Jesus, then in verse 5, and he poured out into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Oh, and he, uh, he came, to Simon, came to Simon and Simon said to him, Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. 
And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. Can I ask you this question? Was Judas among the ones that Jesus washed the feet of? See, it's easy for us to contemplate the idea that Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples who were agreeably with Him from the beginning. But Jesus also knew that this man who was going to betray Him, that He would also wash His feet. You know, and that's, that's what's interesting. is Because I want to ask you the question, can you wash the foot or the feet of the one whom has betrayed you? Has the Gospel had such a real place in our life that the forgiveness of Jesus is no different for us. I'm the Judas in that story. I'm his betrayer. I was the enemy of God. I wasn't just a sweet-natured person who had a few things wrong with his life. I was messed up. So can we wash the feet of our betrayer? Can we wash the one who we'd consider to be the most cruel and unworthy of having their feet washed? And listen to me, the subjectivity is the big thing here. Is because this wasn't somebody that Jesus had betrayed, somebody Jesus knew. This was the one who was his betrayer. It tells us something about the love of God, that it doesn't look at color, it doesn't look at race. It doesn't look at the past, it doesn't look at what you've done, it doesn't look at the, the badness of what you've done. It doesn't look at how far away you are compared to how close you are. It just looks at the fact that every single one of us needed a Savior. To think that we would wash, that He would wash our feet. And Jesus said, I leave this to you as an example. I leave this to you as an example. Because I can tell you it's easy. It's easy to love and serve those who've loved and served you. But it changes the whole picture when you think of this as Jesus saying to you, I want you to wash the foot and the feet of those that are not like that in your life. Jesus made a statement, if you forgive not others their trespasses against you, you can not be forgiven. Jesus made another statement to his disciples. He said, his disciple came to him and said, how often shall I forgive? And Jesus said, 70 times 7. It's like, man, that's a lot. 
Because the human capacity is to find it in our hearts, to find a way somehow to keep ourselves from this. But listen to me, this is the thing, is God had to decide long before you were willing to surrender and receive what Jesus Christ did to you, God had to decide to make the sacrifice whether you were going to receive it or not. So while we were yet enemies, you know the scripture, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God commended His love to us. And that while you were enemies, God demonstrated His love in the sacrifice of Jesus. Gave Himself for us. To be brutally honest, the people that sometimes sting you are the hardest ones to pray for. And yet, if we take another glance at the cross, one more moment and see in ourselves as the guilty party beneath the foot of the cross, it will release you to pray for the other person like you've never prayed in your life. You've never prayed in your life. I remember a man. I remember. I remember a man that I, I held. I had dearly, and he hadn't offended me. He hadn't done anything to hurt me, but he had done something in his own home and in his own life that had caused chaos in his own home to the point that him and his wife ended up in a divorce. And I don't want to even go through the details because it was horrific. It was horrific. But I remember, it was at the other building when we were there, and I remember him in my time of prayer. And I can't get over the way it felt to pray for him. Lord, he's lost. He's so lost. He's blaming everybody else but him, and he's in such darkness. And I can say, I just saw a picture. I can't say it was a vision, but I do remember. It was a picture as like as if demons, many of them, had gotten a hold of him and were dragging him to hell. I remember the weight of that feeling and that thought on my mind. And I remember the picture on his face as if he wanted away from it so bad, but he couldn't. He was captured when he didn't want to be. He didn't want to be drugged where he was going, but he had no power to persuade anybody or anything else to keep him from going. And then I remember I had one more picture of him. And I had this picture of him in his room, in his house, sitting in a chair, and him weeping. Weeping over his sins. Weeping and seeing what he had done. Saw the guilty party that he was and the darkness that had gotten into his life. And I had only felt like I was dreaming of something that wasn't going to take place, but a dreaming and desiring to see it. And then I want to tell you this, because this was the miracle of it for me. I prayed, my heart burdened, my heart broken for this man as if he were me. As if he were me, and he was living me, and I was living his dark life. And wondering what would ever deliver a man in such dark circumstances. And I remember him calling me at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And he said, the only person I could think of to call was you. I hadn't talked to him for years. The only person I could think of was to call you. And he said, I see my sin. I see that I'm the one to be blamed. I all along was that guy. And I remember listening to him and heartbroken as I listened to him 
speak to me. And I realized there was a reality to that prayer. Because I wasn't taking a man to the foot of the cross. I wasn't taking a man there while the Holy Spirit was putting him a good man that was doing well, that I thought well of. I was taking a man who was in the darkness of his sins. And listen to me. Because he was a man that went to my church. Understand, just because you go to the church doesn't mean the church building saves you. You gotta let Jesus into your life and heart. Or it doesn't get there. And you understand, when I sense a picture of that, to me that's the way my salvation felt. It was like I was coming out of this dark hole that nobody could ever take me out of. And when I finally got out of that dark hole, there wasn't anybody that I couldn't love. There wasn't anybody that I couldn't have compassion for. There wasn't anybody who couldn't rub me raw. And at some point I would find a way back to the compassion that Jesus had. And so it's easier to wash somebody else's feet when you see that. And you understand to me it's the eyes of eternity here because for me, the thought is, and it goes to this, If hell is real, that's a hard one to say, but if hell is real, folks, it's worth any sacrifice you would give to help somebody not get there. Listen to me. If you don't believe in the place, it weakens your prayer and resolve to pray for somebody because infinitely evil are our sins. I love what Paris Reedhead said, I don't know if any of you had listened to the sermon that I had mentioned, but he said when he saw, I mean, I don't think he said it in that sermon, but when he saw the sinner that he was, he said uh, that hell was too good for him. Hell would be too good for him. When you see the blackness of inequity, you see the evil that it is in the eyes of God, you realize that you that hell isn't a bad, isn't such such a harsh punishment any deeper than what you deserve. It's as big as you deserve, at least. Because you've got to understand we're offending against God. I'm a firm believer the reason why the gospel isn't our main love and why communion isn't as precious to us as it ought to be is because we struggle to see the sinner that has been saved. That's why I tell you, and I will say it over and over again, if you come to the altar and somebody says, would you just come and say, the sinner's prayer. Listen to me. For me, the sinner's prayer would have never done a good enough job. I needed room to weep. I need room to die. I needed room to let go of the person that I was. I needed room to be born again. I needed to be revived. I needed new life. I didn't want just forgiveness and to go walk back into the path that I had been in. I wanted something different for myself. You have to understand, when life is dark enough, you can't just live it anymore. So I wasn't just the the guy that could come and kneel down there and say a sinner's prayer and be happy and content because I had darkness to face. But it was the new man that I needed. I remember over and over again, to me, there wasn't a, a birth moment. It was a birth continuation. Getting at the end of my bed, praying desperately for this God to have His way in my life. You know, today, I struggle with a lot of brothers and sisters that said, look, just pray. Give time to God. Like, it's not hard. Like, just give Him your time. 
for me, it was an, an attitude of desperation. But I remembered. I'm so struggling with depression and the pain and the struggle of that that I need free of depression. So I went and I prayed and I would worship for hours. Every day before school, I'd get up and I'd have at least two hours of devotional time before I got started. And sometimes it was three and four because I was afraid. Man, I couldn't, I didn't know how to face the day. Until finally freedom started coming in. And I realized something. I devoted myself because I knew that I needed God. I knew that I needed Him. And today, I'll tell you, it's hard to get people to pray. Because I think something's undermined our faith, and that is this. I don't need delivered from sin. I just need to be forgiven of sin. Can I say that one more time? I don't need delivered from sin. I just need forgiven. Because as long as I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. But that's where the word salvation comes in. Where That's where the word regeneration comes in. God gave you a new heart. That's why it's interesting in the word that John says, 1 John, he talks about, he says, we cannot sin because the seed of God remains in us. Does that mean it's impossible to sin? No, it just means the sin becomes the exception in the life of the person who's actually come to God. Because God has put something new in their life. They have been born again. So I want the full salvation of God to be realized. And this is the difference. Communion to the one who only knows the idea of forgiveness without deliverance. It's, not, it's really a light thing. But somebody who knows salvation, to them it's a very important thing. Salvation changes your view of those elements and what Jesus did. It changes your view of other people. Forgiveness oftentimes kind of relates back to me. It's what I want. I want a clarity of conscience. But what does God want? He wants our life to be a testimony. He wants it to be a testimony, a clear testimony. Now, for some, I'm not trying to tell you you're living an impeccable and perfect life, but I want to tell you this, that God in you can do a lot of things that you didn't think were possible. Why don't you walk the next step? Why don't we grow to the next place of glory? Why don't we let go of those points of complacency and compromise in our life and take a new step with God? Why don't we do it? Next thing, I just want to say this. Make this book your life. Read this book often. Read it like the pages are coming off of this book. I don't know what this, I don't know what the United States is going to, I don't know what we're going to experience. But, you know, I've heard some of you say, and I'll say it too, there are some people in such persecuted, circumstances and countries that the way they live life is to pull one they rip this bible apart and they take one page out and they take every page and they give it to a person and they memorize God's word 
they memorize it. So that when they're done memorizing, they can pass it on. And we might brief through it, but memorize it. You don't know the days that are coming. And one day, the, the biggest goal in, in dark mind is to ban this book from our existence and to keep you from being able to read it. Keep you from being able to know it. And this is my passion when I pray the Word of God. Lord, this is what You said in Your Word. If I'm praying for Vern, Lord, this is what You said in Your Word. If I'm praying for Carol, Lord, this is what You said in Your Word. This isn't my Word, this is Your Word. And You're faithful to Your Word. You may not be faithful to what I ask You to do, but You'll be faithful to what You said in Your Word. And you would just come and devour this book. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's a heart plea in my desire. And it goes to me too. Like there's a side to me that said, I'm just preaching to myself. But it's like this awareness of, yeah, you have lots of hours and time go by, but will you take time in the word of God? Throw away. Folks, we could live happily, very happy lives if we quit watching YouTube and quit spending time on Facebook and just spend time in the Word of God. Why? Because God wants to speak to you personally. He wants you to know. And not just that, but when He elevates His promise that it becomes so alive and real to you that you're in anguish just to see the promise of God happen. Lord, you promised this. You promised it. You said it. I can't live without it. I can't live without it because this is your integrity. This is who you are. I remember a brother praying for a guy struggling with alcohol. And I said, Lord, this is what I prayed. God, you're not getting the glory you deserve out of his life. You died for something more than what he's living. And my heart's broken for your glory. My heart's broken for that you would get the glory out of his life. And I want to see you get the praise. And while that man's bound by alcohol, there will be no praise to God. And pour out your heart, folks. Pour out your heart in this last day. Break before God. Let Just pour out your spirit within Him. There was a, a heart prayer. Remember the story of, of Hannah. And she got so desperate. She broke before God. And she wept before the Lord. Oh, that the church wept before the Lord. Oh, that we wept before God for that loved one. Weep before God for that little boy or girl right now being abused in their home that you don't know about, but you know it's happening. You know it's happening over this county. You know there's fathers abusing their children. Get to God and say, Lord, please pour out your burden in my heart for somebody. Please. Don't let me live this Christian life in comfort while people are perishing all around me. Young people, the reason I can say that it burns in my heart because that was me. And you're not going to get a Christian to knock on my door. They're too busy with life. But I had one man that knocked on my door. There was one man that found a way into my life. And he lived that life in front of me. And he was almost too radical to fit the picture of today. But he was, he was all on fire for Jesus. And you know what? He may not have had it all right. He may not have had all the social cues all put. But he was 
man, he was sincere and he was real. And I knew he'd give anything. I knew he would give anything to stand behind me. He'd give anything to make sure that I found my way to Jesus and that I didn't get lost somewhere in the middle. That this young, and, and I was, I was the one that was prone to go to church for, for a week and then never come back again. But this was the man that called me. This is the man that sought me. This is the man that was there. It's a bloody business being a Christian today. Being there for the broken, being for the lost, being for those who don't know him, being for those that's, you're getting the picture. Beer bottles stacked up, boxes of, of beer stacked up like this, but can't find anything in the refrigerator. There's kids like that in the world. They're in there. And when they're there, we need to be broken for them. And we see what's happening today. We've got COVID. We've got the world falling to pieces around us. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And we're praying for freedom when we should be praying for the blood of Jesus to cover our nation. God, get them out of sin. I don't want, I don't want sin and freedom together. I don't want it together. I got a little radical there. I got a little fired up. If you feel the lostness of a soul in your heart and you feel how lost they are and God gives you a glimpse of that. There's something that says, oh God, yell at me if you need to. Awaken me and chase me, but don't let me live just a compromised life. Awaken me. We don't need a program to change them. We need the Holy Spirit to change them. And there's something powerful and beautiful when the people of God, when the people of God get the heart breath of lost souls inside of them. And Lord, that you would reveal, just like you revealed my salvation, that you revealed that I was free and forgiven, that you would reveal to me that poor lost soul and that I could sob and I would be broken by my bed, by the altar. I could be at work. I don't care. But Lord, put them in my spirit. And don't let me live or breathe without knowing that they're going to be born again. Because <clears throat> I'll tell you something. People that are not born again will come to church and they'll quit going to church. But when you get saved... You're going to be saying, I want to see it happen more often. Brother, well, give me another meeting. Give me another moment with God. I'm so hungry for the Lord, I can't get away from it. Give me more time with the Lord. And there'll be a heart cry. They'll meet the need of our nation. And until then, we, can, we don't weep for our nation. Listen to it says in Joel. I'm not talking about my words. It says in Joel, let the ministers weep between the porch and the altar. Let them weep. I know people today that will tell me. They'll say, I don't see a need for weeping because I have faith. And I see a need for weeping because there's a need for love that precedes our faith. We need it more now than we ever did. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus.
Father, I just want to pray right now that you would have your way. That, Lord, when we take of this bread and this, and this cup, that we would take of it in the sincerity and the knowledge of, Lord, that we were radically, radically saved and freed from the passion and the pride of sin and that You've given us new hope through the cross of Jesus. And Lord, I just want to pray that You'll have Your way among us. That Lord, we just don't want to live the comfortable life when we know that Jesus, that You sacrificed all, that You gave everything. That Lord, that You lived a way of life that none of us could hardly dream of the idea of. The very Son of God. The very Son of God. Gave His life, His time. He walked this earth. He received persecution, Lord. And yet we see that You were humble and You were faithful. And You were committed. And Lord, I just want to pray right now that You'd remove from our lives prejudice. You'd remove from our hearts bitterness. You'd remove from our hearts anger and hatred. You'd remove from us, God, those things that don't serve the beauty and the wonder of the Gospel. God, help us come to You as hungry and broken saints. Lord, who want to see our community delivered. Not from suffering only, but Lord, delivered from sin. And the many, many ways, Lord, in which we do. And I just want to welcome You, Lord. Welcome Your presence. Welcome Your faithfulness. Welcome Your strength among us. God, we welcome You, Lord, to speak to us. We love You, Jesus. We love You. And Lord, we want to pray for Your furtherance and blessing in this ministry, God, as we spend these last moments in communion and in washing one another's feet. I pray that, Lord, that You will minister very special in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to, I want to do this. I want those of you who are going to um, have communion. And as we do... As we do, I want you to serve another person. I want you to pray with another person. I want to wash one another's feet in a different way, in a spiritual way. And I don't know if it's husband and wife. I don't know if it's just somebody else that God's put on your heart. But I want you to serve communion with one another and take that time and share with one another your burdens and pray over those burdens, whatever they are. And I want to do that differently than what we have been because I know normally it's personal, but I want to bring this together in a, in a deeper way. So let's seek one another out. Take a few minutes. As you come up, we're going to do the same thing we normally do and just let you come up and receive it. But find somebody else to do that with. And even if it's three people, that's fine. Just find somebody else to take communion with. And uh, let the Lord just minister to you through this time. Amen. And we'll have the worship team come up right now.